Hi, friends and colleagues. It's Nikki from Full Voice Music. And today on our podcast, episode 105, I am speaking with Alan Henderson. Alan is the current executive director of the National Association of Teachers of Singing. Today we are talking about Nats, how they've grown and how they seek to serve the voice professional. We're also going to get a little sneak peek of some of the wonderful things that are going to be happening at the 2020 convention, the Nats convention next year. Very exciting. Now, before I bring Alan onto the show, I want to thank everyone who visited our website, took advantage of Freebie Friday. We have a wonderful free download. Please take advantage of it. It will take you through the next month into the holidays with lots of fun and singing challenges for your students. And I also want to thank Donna Rodenizer, a wonderful composer who has kindly given us her new song, brand new song. It's called It's Snowing. And you have two versions. If you like snow, it's in major key. If you do not like snow, it's in a minor key. I like the minor key the best. Uh, this is a fun song that is perfect for this time of year. Or if you are looking for some new music in January, a perfect opportunity. But thank you to Donna for sharing that song. You can find it snowing on our website. Now, I am excited to start our conversation with Alan, and I want to thank you, the voice teacher who's listening to this podcast. I know you're going to have some wonderful teacher takeaways from our conversation. Welcome to the Full Voice Podcast, Alan Henderson. How are you today? I'm great. It's great to hear you and talk with you. Well, I know you are a busy gentleman, and I'm so thankful. We have a big topic today. We're talking about the National Association of Teachers of Singing. And right now, you are in your membership drive. That is true. Uh, our membership is on a calendar year basis, so we're in the throes of a renewal period. And as well, it's a great time for new members to join and get the full you know, value of a year's membership in Nats. Well, I want you to know that I do have the email in my inbox and it is on my to-do list. So I'm not ignoring those emails. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we, um, before we dive into uh, our topic today, I know many people know you as the executive director of this organization, but I would, I would love to give you the opportunity to give everybody a little bit of your background, how you started singing, how you got into education, and of course, how did you end up the, the, uh, the head of this organization? <laughs> just a, well, just I, a brief Cole's note. Yeah, there. just brief. I'll try to be brief. <laughs> uh, I, I've always sang... Uh, as a child, my parents were musical, singing in church choir, particularly, and things like that. My mother was ch children's choir director uh, when I was young, and uh, so I, I had great uh, education in music uh, at all levels, especially some middle school and high school choral folks uh, who were beloved to me, and. Uh, and even though I did not choose music right out of high school as a major, I was an engineering major at Georgia Tech oh, wow. my freshman year, uh, I got involved in some singing in the Atlanta area, and that 
combined with a host of other things, uh, <laughs> really kind of cemented in my mind that music was what I wanted to do. And so I'm transferred because Georgia Tech did not have a music major, <laughs> I expect, at that time at least. And uh, and I transferred to Carson Newman College where uh, the very first semester I went into a voice lesson and my voice teacher says, well, there's this thing called Nats and we do Nats auditions every spring. And so that's what we will – I just want you to know about that and, and we'll work toward that. And that oh, was wow. my first – Experience with Nats, and uh, so I consider myself someone who has kind of grown up in Nats, sure. uh, in, in many ways. And uh, then I went. Uh, I was thinking about uh, church music as a career. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was kind of headed possibly that way, and I was singing at a Nats audition my senior <laughs> year. And the next week, my voice teacher gets a call from uh, another voice teacher in the region uh, and says, you know, we have this graduate assistant chip available. I wonder if you would suggest to Alan that he come and audition for us. And my teacher said, well, I think he's headed in another direction. And of course, he came and talked to me about it. I said, well, I'm headed in another direction. And he, <laughs> he gave me uh, some wise advice. You know, it's, it's never close a door that mm. might be open to you. It can't hurt you to see what happens. Sure. And, uh, so I went and auditioned, and they offered me an apprenticeship with the Knoxville Opera Company and to work on my wow. graduate degree uh, on the spot. And <laughs> uh, so I, you know, that kind of, again, changed uh, the direction of, of my life of and course. my professional life. Uh, and I did that, and then I went to uh, CCM for my uh, doctorate. And uh, unlike some people nowadays, I went straight through Um <laughs> You know, just one of those things for me. Sure. Um, and so I had a lot of great performing opportunities. Uh, then I, I started, uh, had the opportunity to have a, basically a full-time church job the whole time I was in Cincinnati. So that helped sustain uh, me economically and wow. my family. And then I started off in higher ed. My first job was at Oklahoma Baptist University. I was there for two years, and then I was at Austin P. State University in Tennessee for uh, 11 years, wow. and I served as chair at that department for a couple of years, and then I moved to Georgia. This is my 15th year at Georgia Southern University, and I served as chair for a couple of years when uh, – and I was on the board of Nats. I was uh, a regional governor, and then I was a uh, the, the national secretary treasurer, uh, and during that time, uh, a we had a full time executive director, and she uh, chose to resign unexpectedly uh, mm-hmm. to the board, at least. And uh, I happened to be knowledgeable about all the budget aspects, of course, of Nats, but also the board member that lived closest to the office in Jacksonville, <laughs> and. Uh, so I got asked if I would be willing to be the interim executive director for a year while they conducted a search. And so at, at uh, I was not going to apply for the permanent position because I enjoyed my teaching career. Sure. And uh, and at the end of that year, it was an interesting time for NAS. We were in a big growth spurt. There were technologically things were changing quite a bit, and NAS was 
I would say, behind the eight ball a little bit on that. Okay. And so by the end of the year of serving as interim, then it was uh, we had done a lot of things. We had fixed perceived problems that people uh, mm-hmm. had internally uh, mm-hmm. and and so that and the board did a search and they had interviews and they determined that they really didn't feel strongly about any of the candidates they interviewed and so they came back to me and said well this is working out pretty well after a year the staff are happy we're happy uh you want to maybe consider doing this so 12 years later i'm still doing it oh wow that is quite the journey (laughs) and you're but you're still teaching I am. Yeah. I, I do uh, have a very supportive dean and administration that uh, allows me some release time to do my NATS duties as well. So I have a little bit of a reduced teaching load, but I do have a studio mm-hmm. uh, and I teach foreign language addiction. Oh, that I teach. I did not know that. Ah, now your private studio, what ages are you working with? Uh, I have a few high school aged Mm -hmm. uh, students at my private studio, but then uh, at the university, I have a studio of uh, usually around 10 students uh, each semester, undergrad and master's level students. Fantastic. That is a that's a busy load with all your responsibilities at Nats and then of course at the university and private teaching. It's busy, but we're all busy. Exactly. There's no <laughs> industry. I think <laughs> we all busy wear many hats. Yep. Well, I I'm very excited to talk about uh, this organization, and uh, it's interesting that your your experience from the very beginning has just led to opportunity to opportunity to opportunity. Now, um, I want to go back a little bit about maybe some of the history of the organization. So, Nats began in 1944, and correct me if I'm wrong, but was it mostly for the academics in the industry? There were actually some very prominent uh, teachers of voice who had very large private studios and, and a, quite a reputation at the time. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't exclusively academic mm-hmm. uh, voice teachers that were, you know, the, the genesis of Nats sure. and its uh, original membership. Um, I think Nats has gone through periods where. Um, there was a stronger, early on especially, I think that is where uh, they identified membership growth happening uh, quickly mm. uh, because there were a lot of voice teachers and in institutions. It was easy to get to them, mm. so to know who they were pre-internet you know, internet days and all those of kinds course. of things. Uh, so it was a mixture. It's always been a mixture. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the membership uh, and even at the beginning. And Nats has a global membership. I th- When I first joined, I thought it was more of a North American thing, but I've learned that there's people all over the world that are, are members in this, this organization. We do have a lot of international members. Um, and, of course, they don't get quite the full Nats experience, uh, you know, being in chapters and doing mm-hmm. student auditions, those kinds of things. But many of them have engaged with Nats um, through either coming to a conference or being a part of an international conference mm-hmm. uh, that Nats helps 
um, run every four years, mm-hmm. uh, the International Congress of Voice Teachers. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, and through various, uh, you know, work of our members internationally, we have so many members who teach internationally, they travel, right. they do some programs, and, and that network has grown as a result of that. But primarily our membership is North American mm-hmm. Uh, the U.S. and Canada. So what what statistics do we have now? How many members are we looking at? Because NATS is uh, the largest It's the largest in the world by far. Mm-hmm. Um, we have around 7,100 members. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that, you know, we cover the, uh, I guess, the landscape of people from people who are very beginning, student members mm-hmm. still in school to our emeritus members who've been teaching for years and even though they may have retired, want to remain engaged with NATS yeah. in meaningful ways. Uh, and so um, that growth, uh, we've grown in, in the last 12 years. Um, we've probably grown, I think when I started, we were around 6,000 or so members. Mm-hmm. So, um and we've had periods of, you know, kind of stable year to year. And we've had sure. periods of growth. We, you know, mm-hmm. But um, the next largest uh, voice teacher organization in the world, I think, may have 1,200 members. So, you know, th- there's a big difference there's when you think about difference. the mm-hmm. size of NATS and the size of other organizations uh, of, of its nature. And... Years ago, um, you know, there was a lot of discussion about whether NATS should be kind of the international organization for voice teachers, and there was a lot of discussion among the board. And in the end, I think they made the right decision and putting energies through an international coordinator in serving um, our international audience by helping other countries and uh, other regions develop NATS-like organizations that are in their locale. Mm. So NATS has been a part of really starting between 25 and 35 other um, voice teacher organizations in the world. So they're Um, modeling after the NATS organization. I see, I see. Many, Many of the European Voice Teacher Association group member organizations were their growth and uh, genesis was facilitated through NATS. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, that's been, it's, I think that's been a really great legacy for NATS mm-hmm. uh, to hold on to and say, you know, we've, we've been a, a part of really expanding the reach and helping uh, those in their own countries you know, mm-hmm. develop similar organizations that serve yeah. the unique needs that they have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, over the last, our industry, I mean, conversation um, <laughs> always comes up how much our industry has changed in the last, you pick a number, 5, 10, 15 years. And with the with the the growing industry of contemporary music, contemporary singing, um how is how is Nats embracing teachers who are looking to expand their knowledge into contemporary styles? Mm-hmm. Well, I think 
One, we've always had NATS members who have done that. Mm-hmm. It, I think what we've seen is uh, kind of what you said is a real growth in the attention and the attention paid to the uniqueness of teaching contemporary styles. Mm-hmm. Uh, we certainly, you know, long ago moved away from kind of the one pedagogy fits all. Um, Amen. You know, all styles <laughs> and everything uh, yeah. model, you know. Um, and so, you know, Nats has embraced that in a variety of ways through uh, our workshops that, that we've done. Uh, you know, our first music theater focused workshop, pedagogy workshop was way back in the 90s. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's been on the radar for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not as uh, prominent as some people would like in some sure. time spans. Um, but <laughs> I think it's uh, continues to grow. I think it continues to um, the, the ways that we can serve our entire membership and their needs mm-hmm. have grown. Uh, we, um, I conceived of and created the So You Want to Sing book series uh, oh, primarily yes. as a way for us to, as an organization, to address um, the unique needs of both singers who want to sing a variety of styles and teachers who want to teach in a variety of styles. And the, the thing I really felt in creating that series that was important is that we, one, provide some consistency for both the motivated singer who wants to branch out and diversify their skill set, but also the teacher who wants to either do the same or mm-hmm. is teaching who is teaching in an academic environment and needs some supplementary pedagogical resources for some classes nice. that they can uh, provide for their students and uh, whether they're teaching voice pedagogy or another course that might uh, need uh, some some more hefty resources uh, for <laughs> the students uh, than just an article or two. And, and knowing that there are so many opinions about a variety of things, uh, style to style, uh, another aspect of that was making sure we were trying our best to have a consistent approach to both voice science and how it's addressed in all of those different styles mm-hmm. and vocal health. And mm-hmm. so we have a, a common chapter in most of those books that's slightly um, customized in some ways for each style, but deals with voice science um, Scott McCoy wrote, writes that chapter, and then Vocal Health and Wendy Laborn does that chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some books, we have a chapter by Matt Edwards that talks about using technology, sound reinforcement in particular, um, so that we're dealing with that in a consistent way as well. And that, you know, I thought would just be, oh, we'll have five or six books, you know, it'll be nice. <laughs> Uh, and how many books have you got now? Close out the series, and we're going to have 20, 20 books in the series. Incredible. And the last will come out uh, next spring. Brilliant. Uh, we've been, it's been great to bring a lot of new voices to the table, mm-hmm. people who have interesting expertise, mm-hmm. some of these genres and subgenres, uh, and 
know, and use, uh, bring their voices forward and provide great resources for our community. So, you know, that's a major way that I think we've tried to provide better resources. Uh, you know, we've strategically thought a lot about our conference offerings and our, mm-hmm. our mix of shops and how that rotates through um, varying cycles. Mm-hmm. Uh, we really consciously work to be inclusive, uh, both of style, ages that are being taught, Mm -hmm. child singers and teaching child singers, uh, and and the aging voice as well, so that we're providing the best coverage possible, I guess you could say. Sure, um, sure. For topics that might be of interest to a variety of teachers. I, I love what you were saying about uh, a little bit earlier about uh, serving the members of Nats. Now, for someone who is maybe uh, not a member or is wondering, what am I going to get from this organization? If I, if I join and become a member, what can I expect from Nats? What, yeah. would you, what would you say to that teacher who is asking that question? Well, uh, I think the best thing about Nats is the community. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously there are resources that we have. We have the Journal of Singing, which is a leading, you know, the leading uh, journal on on singing, um, and it's you know highly respected, uh, well edited, and run. Uh, and then we have a live learning center uh, through our website that actually has recordings from all our past workshops and uh, national conferences since 2008. Wow. So for the last years. Uh, and so our members have a reduced uh, access rate to those purchasing access to those videos. Mm-hmm. And they can have a permanent, you know, they can buy a video that, and they can search those and they can look at clips from them and see if there's something that topic might be of interest to them. Right. Uh, and we do have, of course, member rates to our uh, workshops and conference uh, events that are reduced for our membership versus the general public that might want to come. Uh, we also, by being a national member, you have the ability to join a, a local chapter mm-hmm. uh, of NATS. Uh, and uh, most chapters, uh, historically, a major activity that they've done is had NATS student auditions. Yes. Uh, and uh, many people would say, if you surveyed them, uh, that's a major reason they initially joined NATS, mm-hmm. was the access for their students to get feedback through the NATS student auditions process. Right. And we, we now have... Uh, over 15,000 singers every year wow. that go through Nats auditions. So, 15,000. You know, it's not a, yeah, it's not a little small. <laughs> you know, we think about it at our chapter level, but yeah, nationally we have uh, just over 15,000 singers last year and that's a lot of singing, a lot of adjudicating, mm-hmm. which our members do, uh, you know, as a service to their colleagues mm-hmm. and to their colleague students. Um, and, you know, just really provides a good opportunity and a healthy environment uh, for students to get constructive feedback mm-hmm. on their development of singers. And uh, so 
we also have you know some usual member fence like insurance products and mm-hmm. affiliate partnerships with a variety of of vendors that uh, you know that are open to our membership by being a member of Nats and some of our chapters and our regions uh, are now have kind of mini conferences as part of yeah. other activities they do during the year. Um, ha- they have you know master classes, workshops, a whole host of things, and that really has grown uh, mm-hmm. in in the last ten years. Uh, you know, previous to maybe ten years ago, maybe one region did something of significance outside of uh, having regional student auditions. But now we have multiple regions that, in addition to the student auditions, have presentation opportunities for you know, faculty, even student poster papers, research is presented, uh, and all of those things. So there's many more opportunities for people to share their expertise. I like the, um, I like the opportunity to network with, with, that's been one of my takeaways. And I've met a lot of my colleagues who are now good friends through the organization. And I think, uh, I think we forget how powerful networking is. It is so, you know, it really is. It is the, I can't think back to a time when Nats, when the network of Nats and meeting people through Nats was not integral to my development as either a singer or a mm-hmm. teacher. Mm-hmm. Really, everything I've done as a singer and a teacher has some connection back to a Nats connection, you mm-hmm. know, whether it was a teacher I had or whether it was a teacher I was introduced to through Nats. Right. Uh, and then, you know, through my current job, I just have the real delight of, of um, you know, expanding my network. But one of the most enjoyable and fulfilling aspects is being a connector of people. And I feel that that's a really important aspect of what I do in Nats because I constantly have conversations with people, you know, who raise a question or say, I'd really like to know somebody who blah, right? you know, and well, let me connect you with somebody <laughs> I know who in Nats who does what you do, you know, right. half a world away or half a country away. Sure. Um, you know, and it's been great to see some of those connections develop into longer standing relationships, even partnerships and uh, professionally in different kinds of ways mm. uh, that have been really exciting, I think, for our whole industry. I I agree. Um, now, I I have a question and I and I want to shout out to my friend Eden, who asked this. She would like to know. And I would like to know as well, where do you see this organization in five years, in 10 years? Where do you see everything going? Well, I think, um, I think we're at an interesting time, uh, both culturally Mm. um, and uh, if you look at the higher ed environment, it's uh, quite a time of transition. Uh, if you look at, you know, the advances we've seen in technology, the ability to connect people together, um, we're seeing a lot more 
ability of people to access one another and access different kinds of expertise in in totally different ways mm-hmm. than we have been able to before. Um, and at this current time in the next, uh, this this past year, um, we have a committee who is developing a strategic plan for Nats that will probably cover the next five years. <laughs> and that plan will drive a lot of the directions that, that Nats as an organization goes in the next five to seven years, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have a Oh, you know, over 50 Nats members that are involved in this process in some way. I mean, every Nats member has had the opportunity to be involved because we did a member climate survey uh, within the last year. Right. It was a little different kind of survey than we'd ever done before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it gave us a lot of good data uh, to just jumpstart the planning process. Mm-hmm. And so there are going to be a lot of opportunities between now and our, our national conference next June um, for different aspects that are being developed of the plan to be kind of vetted in small groups and different venues. And then we hope to have a, a real strategic plan, you know, kind of launched this next summer at our conference and communicated to our whole membership. Mm-hmm. Uh, but apart from that, I think um, – one of the things that's really important for creating the next generation of voice teachers and voice pedagogues is making sure that we have the structure in place, primarily in higher education, for um, for people to come out of a degree program, of any voice-related degree program, with the skills necessary to be a good voice teacher. Mm. Because it's doesn't you know i have friends you have friends (laughs) we might have been one of those people when we were in college that said i'm i'm going to be a performer i'm never going to be a teacher (laughs) Uh, and you know and really getting that message out to everybody at that juncture as an undergraduate student that chances are no matter what you really want to do in in the voice world, you're going to come back to teaching in some way, shape, or form at some point in your career. So, so true. get the skills now. Mm. Get the skills and be ready for that and keep mm-hmm. keep owning them when you have those opportunities and be ready for the opportunity when it comes along sometime in the future. Mm-hmm. And that that's going to continue to take a lot of work because we have a lot of, I think, updating to do. I would say, sure. uh, in higher education to address what I consider a much broader sphere of ways in which people teach, the styles in which people teach, both independent studios and even in high schools, college, you know, just mm-hmm. the whole industry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, helping singers realize that while the last generation, or not even the current generation, but two generations ago, my generation, even old and, and much older than my generation, uh, were able to have have substantial careers being just an oratorio singer, you know, sure. uh, or just an opera singer. Mm-hmm. That really is only available to, you know, less than the 1% in oh, our profession. Course. 
And so you really have to be diverse and you have to kind of diversify your skill set as a singer. And, and I'm not sure. Well, I know that, you know, our institutions of higher education aren't consistently sending that message nor training mm-hmm. students for that. You know, yes, we have some programs that are doing a great job of training students for diverse careers mm-hmm. as singers. We have a lot of work to do in that area. And it's a generational change that's going to take time. And uh, one of the things I say to a lot of people who think, you know, well, we should just change this tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, is that, yeah, I'd love to do that. But it, it, it is a long, it's, a, it's, it's the long game. Mm, sure. And I think what Nats is about is the long game. There are short things we can do, and there are things, new programs, new book series, new products, new workshops, and things that we can do, mm-hmm. and we're about that, to help teachers who are out in the field do do a better job and, and be more diverse in their skill set, and that's certainly a major part of our mission. But the long game is the day when we don't have to do as much of that anymore because the students that are coming through the higher education system are coming out better with, trained with those skills or, or fully skilled. I, um, I, I'm really, I'm really glad you brought that up uh, because uh, at the last Nats convention in Vegas, um, and it was the first time that I had been able to get to the convention. I met so many uh, teachers uh, who were teaching uh, pedagogy in in the higher levels, and they were very interested in uh, well, the, what the conversation was is I don't work with kids, but I know that my students are going to work with kids or I know that some of my students in my classes are already working with kids in order to pay for their university. So the conversation is changing and opening up. And I was really pleased to have those conversations with teachers at the convention. And again, amazing networking opportunity. And, uh, um, it, it it turned into so many opportunities for me because I actually was able to do some video conferencing in some of those classes to talk about working with the young singer, which was which was a great opportunity. But I agree. I think uh, I think it's a, it, it's changing, but it's slowly changing, and more and more more and more young singers are starting to recognize that they need to wear many many hats. Yep, exactly. And and I think, I mean, I think. Historically, I, I won't say this is the norm, okay, but this is the way I try to explain it to people, and that is one way to explain it is teaching voice pedagogy at an institution in a degree program can and probably has been viewed historically as a plum kind of teaching opportunity for a professor who is engaged and you know it's really something that those who teach it um, think that can really make a difference Mm. but um, and however those most of those people start doing that 25 
some of them even longer years ago. And while some of them have kept up, many haven't. And they've, they're still teaching the way they've always taught voice pedagogy. And suddenly we have exploded the universe of voice pedagogy over the last decade, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. Think about all the acoustic models that are out now. You think about the this, this style diversity that we're really talking about nowadays and the research that's been done um, that that really has transformed the way a lot of people teach mm-hmm. and the way a lot of people teach pedagogy. And if they haven't kept up um, then or don't want to keep up, mm-hmm. you know, they're comfortable mm-hmm. in what they're doing, mm-hmm. then – this is what I mean by kind of the generational change mm-hmm. is, you know, we, I think as, as professors, uh, particularly those who teach voice pedagogy, we have to accept that responsibility fully. And if we choose not to, or if we feel like, man, this is passing me by mm-hmm. faster than I can keep up, then I need to have the courage to say, you know, one of my younger colleagues who just graduated with their doctorate from one of these great schools that's right on the cutting edge, maybe maybe they ought to be teaching voice pedagogy. Mm. And I need to go step aside and teach something else I haven't taught in a few years um, so that our students can benefit mm-hmm. and I can relax probably <laughs> and not feel so tense about trying to keep up as up to date as I need sure. to be. If I really want to teach that course as as effectively as I know it should be taught. And now for the My Music Staff Minute. Hey, everyone. Erin here with your My Music Staff Minute. And today we're talking about creating business goals. Before setting any new goals, you should analyze where your studio is at right now. Understanding the health of your business as it is today will help you determine where you want it to go next. Review your finances and assets. Assess your strengths and weaknesses. Identify your current demographic. Once you've reviewed all of this, it's time to look ahead. When setting goals for your studio, you'll want to make sure your goals are SMART. What does that mean exactly? It's a handy acronym to help you remember to make your goals specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound. SMART. Goals need to be specific. Do you want to teach a certain number of lessons or hours more each week? earn a certain percentage more in monthly revenue? Be sure to capture exactly what your desired outcome is. Goals should be measurable, achievable, and relevant to the success of your business. Numbers are your friend when setting goals. You'll be able to measure exactly how close or far away from your goal you are. But set those numbers wisely. Don't aim too high or you're risking not being able to reach your goal. Of course, gaining 50 new students each month for the next six months would be amazing. But is 10 new students each month more attainable for a studio of your size? Finally, always set a realistic time for each goal to be completed by. Once your goals are set, share them with the team. Your studio's success depends on every part of the team, and each person should understand how their performance affects the goals. It will also hold you accountable and keep you on track. Start your 30-day free trial of My Music Staff today at mymusicstaff.com. And stay tuned for next week's tips and tricks on the My Music Staff Minute, exclusively on the Full Voice Podcast. 
So I would like to ask some other questions that have come from uh, members of uh, of forums, and I want to go right to the person who has all the answers. So recently, uh, there was some changes made to copyright and uh, copies at the student auditions. Can you clarify and just give uh, everyone a little bit of an update on that? Well, I think most importantly, um, Nats has always been a strong supporter of our colleagues who create music for us to perform. And so we've always strongly supported copyright laws. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we all know Mm -hmm. that the copyright laws are sorely out of date, at least in the United States and many other places as well. Uh, And that presents certain problems Mm -hmm. for us as things change, particularly as it pertains to to technology Mm -hmm. when the laws associated with copyright are so woefully far behind mm-hmm. um, the, the modern curve and trajectory of things and accessibility. Um, so <clears throat> uh, as a result of that support for many years, uh, as, as we began to see more use of tablets among our collaborative pianist colleagues and others, uh, we had not been allowing those because we had felt it was very difficult for us to um, ensure and keep up with uh, with ensuring our copyright policy was was mm-hmm. followed. Yes. Um, so, you know, finally, it kind of got, in my opinion, to a little bit of a breaking point on on my end, in that you know we we had this problem presented. You know that was only growing. Mm-hmm. It was not going to get less. And and we want you know we want our collaborative pianist colleagues who enjoy using technology to its fullest uh, in a in a legal way mm-hmm. to be able to you know fully participate and desire to continue to participate as a collaborative artist in mm-hmm. our student auditions. And similarly, many of our students and our teachers are accessing music in. Uh, in legal and new, but new formats. Sure. Uh, and so uh, we've did a lot of research. We had a lot of conversations uh, with not only internally, but with our legal counsels and others consulted a lot of people mm-hmm. uh, about the best way for us to change things uh, in a way that would allow us to I would say somewhat move away from being the copyright police. I think okay. in some respects in the past, mm-hmm. Nats has been viewed as that by some people. Sure. Uh, just primarily because of our strong support of copyright law and mm-hmm. nothing else, really. Um, it was our method of of ensuring that you know we were not the big pot, even though we don't have deep pockets as an organization. <laughs> We could be perceived as such by uh, publishers or others who might would want to challenge how our members use music or their mm-hmm. students. Uh, and as I said, we have 15,000 singers going through right. auditions. So when, when that data gets in a certain place, uh, suddenly people who want to be litigious uh, think, 
suddenly, ah, here's someone we can you know, use as an example. And that's one of the things right. we've always had to be very careful about as an organization. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't see that. You know, they just see, well, I'm just in my studio teaching and, you know, and yeah. why should I have to worry about that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, so we, we found some ways that we could restructure um, our copyright policy. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's changed some things and the way people have structured their auditions uh, this year. And we've communicated that, I think, fairly effectively with the leadership structures at the chapter level and the region level. And also we've, of course, communicated to all our members uh, and we continue to kind of of course, fully support the copyright law, mm-hmm. um, but we really are placing the responsibility more squarely where I think most people feel it should should be placed, and that is on the individual performer, mm-hmm. the teacher, the singer, the collaborative pianist, mm-hmm. and and having them, you know, ensure that and at least agree to the fact that they're using lawful copies. And that also, uh, I will say, for any uh, of the listeners or anybody who's been in in chapter leadership or region leadership or run student auditions, uh, relieving, having them relieved of the burden in some respects of kind of checking Hmm. scores, kind of being the copyright police at auditions is huge. Yeah. A burden that's relieved from those who are running auditions, mm-hmm. and we're seeing a lot of growth in uh, students participating in chapter auditions and, and region auditions and national auditions. Uh, that burden only gets larger and larger, mm-hmm. and so we needed to find ways to effectively deal with what we feel like our duty is uh, in educating uh, our membership and their students about how we need to support our industry hmm. uh, and support our colleagues who are composers and publishers, mm-hmm. you know, because obviously we wouldn't be here singing if we didn't, we didn't have, have music. No music. Well, you bring up an interesting point. My husband is a music director at a church and uh, a few years ago there were huge lawsuits that were uh, handed down to some churches that were not uh, paying proper uh, royalties to the music that they were performing. And um, the CCLI uh, organization mm-hmm. was really cracking down on uh, churches and, and especially like uh, the bigger churches that have huge congregations and are performing a lot of music each and every Sunday. So I think, uh, I think we have to recognize that, uh, there's a responsibility everywhere, not just at auditions. Yep. So yep. thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. I think that, I think that's very helpful. Um, many of my listeners are, uh, independent private studio owners and, um, they may not feel that Nats represents them. Maybe they feel that it's an organization that's too big or doesn't serve their needs. Um, what, how would you, how would you convince them otherwise? <laughs> well, I do think that because of the diversity of our industry, mm-hmm. and while I will say, uh, we've already said it's always been diverse, mm-hmm. but I, I think it's diverse in many different and unique ways 
in the last decade than mm-hmm. it ever has been before. Yes. So we can't just say, oh, well, you know, it's always served everybody. Well, you know, I think in the current environment, uh, we have to kind of begin to create channels and in, in, and we can look at it that way, kind of conduits. Uh, and Nats has grown so much and we have so many more resources that it's, I mean, I do get the complaint sometimes, you know, I go to the website and I can't find what I want. It's because there's so much there <laughs> that, you know, they can't affect the find And then part of it's us, you know, making sure it's organized in, in a efficient way. Right, sure. Another one of our projects this coming year is to do a refresh of our website and a reorganization of that. We did some research about engagement with Nats. And one of the things that um, was really strong is that, and in all those that responded to our survey was they truly believe in, in our mission mm-hmm. and they truly believe overwhelmingly that Nats is, is fulfi- doing a good job of fulfilling that mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think, you know, it's very individual and I think people have to one really think hard about what they think their needs are Mm. in an organization. Um, I don't think any professional organization is a be-all, end-all. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm members of multiple, you know, professional organizations uh, because of my interests in music and not just Nats. And and I get some things from all of them. That, that benefit me as a teacher and a performer. Uh, and so I do, uh, I do think it's uh, incumbent upon us as individuals to just kind of say, this is what I need from an organization that I'm going to participate in. And, and then make sure that it can provide some of the, it may not provide everything we need, but mm-hmm. one of the things, think it does provide we've already talked about is that network and that conduit to mm-hmm. often people who can fill in some of those gaps that the organization as a whole may not fulfill mm-hmm. but my network and my relationships through that organization provide some other needs to me that uh, and fulfill some other needs that I have as, as a business person as a studio owner um, and I think uh, over the next five or so years, we will see a lot of new things and a lot of uh, new things coming through Nats that are more targeted uh, at the independent studio owner. Uh, we're working on some, you know, collaborative relationships uh, that I think will come to fruition. Uh, we continue to provide ways uh, to have quality professional development opportunity mm-hmm. at people's tips and repackage things that we already have in new ways that that can be of benefit. Um, we're going to be using our learning center uh, to actually also offer some course content, mm-hmm. either uniquely created course content or part, uh, you know, affiliate partnerships with people who already offer uh, their own courses independently mm-hmm. by providing a you know a quality platform that they can be a part of as well as 
you know, obviously still, you know, if they're charging for their course independently, mm-hmm. you know, uh, also reap income uh, through the Nats platform on that. Nice. Um, so, you know, I think some of those things are coming down the pike. Um, but I, I really, we've always had a large membership of independent studio teachers. Mm-hmm. And it really, our membership really is about 50 50. Really? Now, independent studios or independent teachers uh, versus institutionally based mm-hmm. teachers. And so I think we're, you know, about a little over a third uh, independent studio, a little over a third uh, institutionally based. And then the rest of those, the rest of the membership is a mixture of uh, people who are collaborative pianists, mm-hmm. people who are emeritus members, people who um, are in a variety of associated professions to our uh, voice teaching industry and want to be associated with Nats in a, in a variety of ways. So we do have a responsibility, you know, mm-hmm. as an organization to try to serve our whole membership. And, uh, and so we really want to kind of continue to develop both niche kind of programming, mm-hmm. but also, you know, programming that brings everybody together. Nice. You know, how can we all talk about concepts mm-hmm. in holistic ways that can be applied no matter what our setting is mm. and not. And, and so one of the things I talk to presenters about at both our workshops and our conferences, remember our, remember our audience and who they are. You're going to have institutionally based people. You're going to have independent studio teachers. You're going to have student members, you know, who mm-hmm. are just starting out a career. You're going to have people who've been teaching for genera, you know, decades. Mm-hmm. So be careful how you present concepts and how you discuss issues that you might be presenting in your presentation, so that you're inclusive in uh, in your conversations. And you don't, right. you know, most people try to be that way, but, mm-hmm. you know, and ex- exclusive type comments tend to be accidental in nature. Right. Uh, <laughs> but they happen. Right. Uh, now, let's switch that around. How can how can a uh, chapter member, uh, how can a chapter member help to... Uh, continue the diversity, the inclusion, how can chapter members work to make NATS a stronger organization? Well, I think being engaged in it's, it's hard. I, I, I understand it. No matter if you're an institutionally based teacher or an independent teacher, our lives are busy. Mm-hmm. It, there's just no two ways about it. And most of us not only are teaching, but we might be singing, we might be directing a church choir, we might be doing four or five other things besides teaching. Uh, and uh, but if we really value our participation in Nats and the values it brings to us individually and to our students, even more importantly, um, then I think it's incumbent upon us as members to kind of get engaged and get involved. And, you know, our chapters around the country um, go through cycles 
Um, we have chapters who uh, are a little more, I would say, the active base of their chapter sometimes is a little more independent, studio-focused. Or another chapter may be more institutionally focused or in their leadership and in their, in their active members. Mm-hmm. And that presents a unique opportunity, but also a problem if, if by that leadership base being kind of leaning one way or another, um, that it doesn't, they don't continue to take into account the needs of all the people who are in the membership. So we constantly, I think, as, as members have to be on guard to make sure we're, you know, reaching our entire membership in our chapter with resources. We're not, you know, we're opening leadership opportunities to all of our members, no matter what, where they may be teaching or in what method they may be teaching mm-hmm. uh, and engaging people. And I, uh, I think, and certainly one of the stats we know is that of the people that don't renew as Nats members, uh, I think the year, two years ago, I did a little study and of the people that didn't renew as Nats members, only five of them were also a chapter member. So that says to me that people who get engaged in Nats, particularly at the chapter level or region level, get into the ethos of Nats. They they get it and they get engaged and uh, they understand Nats. It becomes something valuable to them personally and professionally, and they remain engaged as a result. Uh, there are a lot of you know, leadership opportunities above the chapter level, um, mm. regionally, uh, even, of course, national offices as well. And those are open to every Nats member. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, Nancy Boss, who's a independent, primarily independently independent studio uh, teacher, has been a national officer. Uh, and, and she's one that many of listeners know and yes she's been a guest on our podcast (laughs) what kind of time she devoted to that pursuit as a national officer and it's been significant but it's been rewarding for her and it's certainly been rewarding for me and for our board Mm -hmm. that as an independent studio teacher she has brought that voice to and there have been others as well but Mm -hmm. she's one that's currently on the board uh and and i realize the sacrifice that she's made uh, as an independent studio person to mm-hmm. to be that involved in the leadership of Nats. But it truly does take uh, people, you know, with divergent voices and bringing at, at that level for us to really uh, continue to grow as an organization. Uh, and so I encourage, I, I don't discourage anyone, mm-hmm. you know, from getting engaged at increasing levels with Nats. Uh, and, but I also realize that you know, people have to make a living too. Right. And if there's a point at which they might have to take some time off, uh, uh, uh from their volunteer leadership. Yeah. Uh, but I really, and, and we do have many ways for, for voices to be heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, that's really important. I'm always, everybody that knows me. And once it has my cell phone number and has my email address, <laughs> and 
you know, messages me on Messenger. I, that's and, me. I, I've got you on Facebook. So, <laughs> well, I um, I really appreciate you taking the time today to to talk about the the organization and tell everybody about what's coming uh, up and all the wonderful things. Now, um, we, you and I, have been talking for a while. And I'm very excited to uh, tell everybody that uh, that we are partnering the podcast, the Full Voice Podcast, and the National Association of Teachers of Singing, um, and uh, we're going to be working together to uh, to really get uh, the word out about the Knoxville Convention. So. Can you preface a little bit about what's coming up in 2020? Because it's your, it's your big convention. Yeah. You've got some yeah. really fantastic plans. Yep. Yeah. I'm really excited about it. Uh, I, I always get excited about our conferences. And, it, uh, you know, it's easy to kind of get into this, oh, it's got to be bigger and better than the last one. <laughs> you know, it's kind of that kind of, and in my mind, it's it kind of goes around like that. You right. know? And I'm like, well, it doesn't have to be bigger you know it's always needs to be better though sure. there are always are ways things we can do better um or you know different voices we can bring to the forefront in a, in a conference um and yeah i'm really excited about um you know the full voice podcast being one of our premier podcast partners for the knoxville conference and so you're going to be hearing you know more on on this podcast about mm -hmm. the conference as the year goes on mm -hmm. and uh and we're also creating um, a new podcast network. Right. Uh, people have said to me, well, why don't we have a podcast? Why doesn't that have podcast? And I start thinking about it. I'm like thinking about all the time, great people like you uh -huh. and others of my <laughs> colleagues devote to putting quality resources out there like these podcasts. Sure. Uh, and so I've been in conversation with four podcasts right now that we're going to launch a Nats podcast network mm -hmm. uh, with some of our great podcasts out there. And so we're going to, we're really excited about that mm -hmm. probably coming in January and trying to uh, provide, you know, share those resources with everybody on a broader scale, uh, mm -hmm. help the podcast uh, broaden their reach and, and, you know, share the love. Yeah. Uh, I love it. Dude. I love it. Uh, but back to the conference. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Larry, Lawrence Brownlee, Larry Brownlee, just one of the, you know, nicest guys, one of the great singers of our time is going to be at our conference. Wow. He's another person who, he grew up in Nats. He's like, kind of like me. He was in college and his teacher said, yeah, we do this thing, Nats. <laughs> and he didn't know what the heck it was. And he really credits those early experiences at Nats student auditions with giving him, you know, great feedback and mm -hmm. real opportunities to be on stage and try things out as he was a developing singer. So it's really exciting to have him. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to have the American Spirituals Ensemble, which oh, wow. is an amazing group, full of a lot of Nats members, actually, mm -hmm. uh, but professionals, many professional singers who sing all over the world. Uh, and it's the first time we've had them in a long time at a Nats event. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it's going to be exciting to have them. Uh, Andrew Harley is going to be our collaborative pianist, master clinician. He uh, teaches in Rochester at the Eastman School. Mm -hmm. And uh, also, um, then we've got um, 
we're going to have a song slam. And if you don't know what a song slam is, it's going to be really cool. Uh, We're going to have Sparks and Wiry Cries. Martha Guth uh, is one of the organizers of of this event. And it's an uh, activity that they created out of Sparks and Wiry Cries, uh, which is an online magazine about art song. Mm -hmm. Uh, And... So it's kind of like in the poetry slam tradition. Uh, and so we will have team, like, 10 or 12 teams of composer, singer, librettist type folks who will come to our conference. They're going to create, I mean, they're going to have just written uh, an art song. Wow. And, and they're going to, we're going to have an evening where they all perform them. Oh, that's fun. Everybody in the audience will vote on you know, their favorite one, and we'll give away some prizes. But more importantly, it's a great opportunity to hear brand new music, you know, mm-hmm. music Wonderful. right there, just created yesterday. You know? <laughs> and it bring, it's going to bring a, a, a lot of composers to our conference, which mm-hmm. will be great. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that's going to be a really cool new addition. Uh, and then one of the things I'm most excited about uh, because of the way it's going to, I think, engage our members and their students is uh, one evening, a couple of blocks away from our hotel is a, a down t- an old downtown uh, outdoor mall, kind of pedestrian mall mm-hmm. uh, that's been uh, gentrified and redeveloped. And it's a lot of live music venues and restaurants. Oh. It's the place most people will go to eat uh, oh, while wow. we're at the conference at the hotel. Uh and so one night we're taking over uh, four or five live music venues down there, and we're going to be curating uh, performances by Nats members and their students in oh, different genres. Wonderful. And one, one place we're going to have music theater performances, another place we might have jazz, another place we might have pop rock. Um, but it's going to be an, a real opportunity for just anybody who wants to come and and. Uh, uh, be on the program to do that and we're gonna we don't have all the stuff on the website about that particular event Mm -hmm. yet but uh, it's coming and everybody will hear about it Uh, it won't cost anything for anybody to submit to it but what we're gonna what I'm doing is putting together uh, teams of three curators for each style and they will we will uh, ask for submissions from everybody that wants to come sing and then that team of three people will put together the evening. They'll communicate with all the people. Uh, so it's kind of like an, an organized open mic, uh, you know, kind of event. And it. people can, you know, if they just want to listen to music theater the whole evening, they can stay in one <laughs> place or they can hop between, you know, between the venues and listen to different people sing different things. Uh, but I think it's going to be a really great opportunity for students and uh, and our members to do what they love doing and let us hear it, you know, and share it. With I love it. Their I love it. Well, don't give away, system. don't give away too much because you and I are going to have a, uh, a separate episode all about 
the convention. And we're going to be talking uh, about the presenters and the opportunities. But um, one of the things that we're also going to do here on the podcast is we're going to have little mini featurettes with presenters so that if uh, uh, if somebody's thinking about the convention and, and is looking for more of a in-depth kind of idea of what some of the presenters are talking about, we're going to do like mini interviews with them. And then those little featurettes will be in our podcasts. And so our listeners can get a sense of all of the wonderful presentations. And, and you and I are going to talk again in the new year and really dive into this amazing convention that's coming up. Um, but I, I have two things first before I can let you go. So um, I wanted to, for people that are interested in becoming Nats members, um, we have the resources. I'm going to put that on the show notes and on our podcast page. But there is there's a specific link for membership. Yep. On the, on the website. So I'm going to put that in the show notes. And I'm also going to put links to the, uh, the Live Learning Center because I, I don't know if a, a, enough of our members are really taking advantage of that. Yeah. Um, so we'll put that in the show notes. But I can't let you go, Alan, until you give me your warm-up of the week. And now the warm-up of the week. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> well, I, uh, as I told you earlier, I'm a big advocate of semi-cluded vocal tract exercises. I okay, do sure. a lot of straw work with my students. Um, I just think it's, you know, really an effective way to help students bridge registers, uh, smooth over those kinds of transition points in our voices. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, some of my favorites are of course, just the slides up mm. and down, you know, uh, the sirening kinds of things through the straw. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of the things that I find with young singers are uh, it's kind of palate awareness. Now, oh. I don't necessarily say, you know, to my students, you got to have your soft palate, you know, really high all the time. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'll take, I'll give them a straw and I'll have them pinch the end all the way closed and then mm. try to suck in through the straw and pay particular awareness to it really helps them sensitize. Oh yeah. I feel that soft. Uh, is that my soft palate? Some of them say, Oh, is that it? You know? <laughs> it's the first time they've really sensed. Right. Physically. Sure. What's happening there when they, when they need to raise their soft palate. So that's something I, I've really found effective, uh, in my teaching, mm. uh, helping them kind of gain some sensory awareness of, of some of the things that really are happening. And of course, the semi-occluded uh, singing, I'll, you know, I have a whole list of exercises and things I'll do. I'll be glad to send it to you and you can put it on the show notes or what. And, and it's, they're not all mine, but I, I give a nice list of people that have contributed to my list oh, over time. Okay, um, we will get so. we will get Alan's uh, uh, list of uh, semi occluded vocal tract exercises. That would be a wonderful uh, addition to the show notes, and I can put a link there. Uh, I want to thank you for your time today, and also I want to thank you for your service for all of us. You have worked tirelessly to uh, serve voice teachers in in 
all areas. And I also want to thank you for how approachable you are and how easy it is to talk to you and get answers from you. I, I appreciate that just as a, as a professional and, and knowing that you are reachable. Um, is, there, is there an email that I could post? Yep. It's, my email is Alan. A-L-L-E-N at Nats.org. It's pretty simple. Okay. Uh, if you, as long as you spell my name right, it's easy. <laughs> It'll get to me. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and, you know, it's uh, it's always something I've always, always felt about our profession is that uh, we, we just have to communicate and be in conversation yeah. and great things happen. And too many times, I think, we're either afraid for that to happen or sure. we're afraid to be challenged maybe on some of our opinions. But, uh, you know, I just sense such an openness nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of people just to have con- great conversations. We don't have to agree on everything about pedagogy. Or all this, <laughs> but uh, I've learned so much from my colleagues who I've just had, you know, really wonderful conversations with about their teaching and, uh, and how it impacts my teaching uh, and, you know, it's just a part of what we need to spend time doing mm-hmm. as professionals is just carving out some time for some great conversations to happen with uh, people who are colleagues. I love and that. There's so many easy ways to do it nowadays. We just have to take the time to do it. I love that. That's a, that's a great that's a great takeaway. Thank you. Well, I look forward to speaking to you in the new year uh, about uh, all the exciting details about Knox. And of course, um, again, I'm excited about the podcast network. I'm always happy to connect with other podcasters and to share the love uh, and to, uh, of course, grow our audience. So thank you for that opportunity. And uh, I, uh, I will see you probably in January or February when we start to talk about the, uh, the convention. Sounds great. Thanks so much, Nikki, for all your time and all your work. Thanks, Alan. A very special thank you to Alan for being our guest today on the podcast. Now, for those of you who are interested in becoming a member of the National Association of Teachers of Singing, the membership fees are only $120 a year. Now, that is U.S., and that equates to only $10 a month. For more information about Nats and all of their offerings, please check the show notes and visit the links and you can find out what you need to find out. I would like to thank the people at My Music Staff for the My Music Staff Minute and I would like to thank you, the listener, for finding time in your busy day and making the Full Voice Podcast part of your day. As always, I'm wishing you inspired teaching and happy singing. Made my canoe music. Canoe music.ca